0: Welcome to Trek Companion, episode 60. I am your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're going to be discussing Next Gen's second season uh, The Outrageous Akona, Loud as a Whisper, and Schizoid Man. Here we go.
1: The Outrageous Ocona, Season 2, Episode 4, Production Number 130. Original air date December 12, 1988. Directed by Robert Becker. Story by Les Manchin, Lance Dixon, and David Landsberg. Teleplay by Burton Armus. Music composed by Ron Jones. Guest cast include William O'Campbell as Thaddeum O'Connor, Douglas Rowe as Deben, Albert Stratton as Cushell, Rosalind Ingledew as Yannar, Kieran Mulroney as Benzan, Joe Piscopo as The Comic, Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan, and and Terry Hatcher as transporter operator.
2: While traveling through the Omega system, the Enterprise aids a disabled cargo ship and plays host to its solo occupant, Captain Okano. Once on board the Enterprise, the handsome, ruggish Okana charms the crew, particularly the women, with his quick wit and mischievous manner. Data, however, is unable to understand Okana's jokes and looks to Guinan and the holodeck for lessons in human humor.
0: It would be difficult for me to be leaving all the time. I'd miss my friends, the people I love. I guess leaving's gotten easy for you. I seem to have a way of using up a place. I wasn't talking about a place. The Enterprise encounters Captain Solo. (laughs) (laughs) Then Solo, Max, on the Desperate Housewife. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I wrote. I think, personally, I think of Terry Hatcher more as the Bond girl, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, this has
2: um quite a few little cameos in it. This episode. Yeah, like what? Well, you have Terry Hatcher. You have Joe yeah. Piscopo um, yeah. I think we get an is
0: O'Brien in this one too. Um, I don't. is one of the this. ones we're discussing today? Was it this one? I don't think this one though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the whole Joe Piscopo thing. You know what? Here's one one thing positive thing I'll say about this episode. I th- I feel the same way about this episode as I did the last time I saw it, which was years ago, and maybe even the first time. Um, it's not great. It's it's okay. Um, but the one thing, the one really positive thing I'll say about it is, they're finally, they're really getting to that, the A and the B story, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they are, they're still not, like, as thematically related as they should be, or as that as we hope they're going to be, or that we know they're going to be in the future. Um, but, it, you know, it's a very distinct A and a B, and the A in a way drives the B. you know anyway, so it's yeah. it's just um, here we are early second season, and they're 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 getting that down. And even when you've got something that you know, either one of these the A or the B in this episode is probably you know, it's weak. It's not awesome. It's, it's okay.. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but because we're jumping back and forth between the A and the B, we don't spend too much time on okay. Because if you spend forty-five minutes on okay, that turns into bad. I think, <laughs> you know. Uh. Um, so it, it certainly helps, um, and I think they're, you know, going to realize that, and they're going to really latch to this A B formula. And of course, by the time we get to DS nine, we know they really run with it there. Um, but uh, that's 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 the one thing I kind of I feel in this episode even more so than some of the other ones we've talked about. Um, that's probably the most positive thing I can say for this one. What are you guys' thoughts? First thoughts about this one?
1: Mm. It's not my favorite by any means. Of course, I mean, I, I kind of agree with, you, with what you're saying. At least they have a there's a structure, and they don't spend too much time on the silly stuff. I think the the silliness of so much of it gets it hits a point where it's kind of tedious to watch at times. And I think it kind of goes in circles. What I don't like is when you kind of like, all right, data doesn't have a sense of humor, and let's Keep going with it. I don't know. Something about that just just runs in the ground kind of for me. But um, you know, it's not. Yeah, it's not so great. I'd say it's about average <coughs> for a season, early season two like this. You know. Well, what's funny about the the data humor storyline is that the Joe Piscopo stuff, which you know our younger
0: listeners probably don't even. Know. Hey, when we when we were kids, when this was airing, Joe Piscopo was hot stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Not not so much anymore, um, but. Even looking back, like between Joe Piscopo and and Whoopi Goldberg, who kind of survived in, in the in, in the industry? Whoopi mm-hmm. Goldberg, right? Yeah. Uh, and looking back on these things, the the Joe Piscopo scenes, they don't hold up to me. They they're kind of they're just shy of annoying. I don't know. They're not yeah. annoying, but but they're not they're not funny. They mm-hmm. don't they don't show me much into Data's character. They're about as shallow as him hopping around like an idiot. Yeah. To, you know but but the Whoopi Goldberg stuff the Guinan stuff I thought that was genuinely funny you know and I, th- I still think it mm-hmm. I think it holds up you know um, yeah, you told the joke yes uh, I'm not laughing yes <laughs> um, you know that stuff that actually is kind of insightful into his character in a clever humorous way and that kind of holds up I just thought that was interesting mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Adam what do you think about this episode? Um,
2: I would tend to agree with you guys mostly. Um, I think probably when they were writing this out, it probably looked really good on paper. And I like the idea of it, exploring humor with data. It's a good concept, you know, you know, Trying to teach an Android humor, I, I'm like I said. It probably just—I would agree about the Joe Piscopo stuff. I I like Joe. I mean, you know, nobody out there maybe remembers who he is, but I I like Joe Piscopo on Saturday Night Live and a yeah. few movies that he did. He's he's an entertaining guy. Oh, Steve, but, Steve
0: was is a huge SNL fan. i so I'm sure mm-hmm. he knows him as well. Oh, yeah. You know. oh, yeah.
2: So, but uh, yeah, I don't think they particularly wrote his character very well. They kind of used. Um, I yeah, mean, I, it was kind of more
0: originally bad, it was supposed to be. Modern, um, you know? Uh, Jerry Lewis. I don't know how far they got, but he had to back out for some kind of a uh, scheduling conflict or something. But originally, it was going to be Jerry Lewis. Mm. Piscopo was a last-minute thing.
2: But Boy, it kind of hold up. That would even because, more
0: dated, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah.
2: But it would have given it a little bit more. Um, everybody knows who Jerry Lewis is, even mm. till today. I mean, kind of given a little bit more weight to it. No offense yeah. to Piscopo, but sure, sure. Um, like I said, I just think it was probably something that looked a lot better on paper than it, and it didn't get translated onto screen that well. This episode, it's, it's fair. I mean, it's got some entertaining moments. It's definitely not like something I'll stop and watch while I'm you know, flipping through the channels, but
0: I wasn't... The other interesting thing about that, the data humor line is that, that it's, the B, cl- it's clearly the B story. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. It, it takes up less screen time, less characters uh, than the A story. Um, but I remember it way better than the A story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know yeah like the the whole a story is forgettable um like seeing a, a kona with a couple of different women just like i don't know it, it seemed almost yeah uh i don't know it kind of you know i i i don't usually th- i know I, I, it's I, cliche I, yeah but but almost sexist even almost like like, these women, they live alone in, you know, they have, like, private quarters, and they're just waiting for an Akona to come along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, yeah. I don't really think it, when I'm watching the original series, um, it's easier for me to, to kind of step away from it and, and think, you know, this is the time in which it was made. And, and I, I don't think of it as misogynistic or sexist, even when maybe it is sometimes. Um, but I guess I don't, give, I don't give Next Gen as much um, room. Um, and I'm not sure why that is, I,
1: but... Well, we lived through it, you know. It, it I guess so. It's not as long ago, you know, it doesn't feel as long ago. It's not just ancient history because we lived through it. So, yeah, I, I can understand that. So, I find
0: it just the... T- I, I almost don't even want to say, I like, troublesome. That's probably even too strong of a word. It, it's just the tiniest, one shade too far of... of um,
2: well, I think maybe maybe I can help you out here. I mean, like what I was saying it's, it's cliché. It doesn't give the character O'Connor any depth. He's just he's kind of we look at him and you know, we kind of realize that he's kind of a good guy even though we, you know, he's but he's he's definitely definitely a kind of a cliché character. They well, got him dressed up with a ponytail, he's yeah, kind of yeah. the bad boy look and it's there's not a lot of depth to his character.
0: Well, um, could could you imagine a you know, having him. You know what it is. I think if it had just been the Cherry Hatcher character, if that had been it, mm-hmm. that probably would not have been okay. It was when he's shown with a second woman. Mm-hmm. That's when. That's when it just it felt like too much. Like I can't imagine them doing this sort of thing today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that yeah, it was that second person that that made it that made it a bit too much. I don't know. I don't know. The but way, that's way it would
2: work is in it. the alternate universe. Ah, I
0: don't mm-hmm. know. <laughs> um, but then you've got the the, the bits about the. Um, the two factions and their offspring well and their offspring's offspring uh, you know and um, that whole storyline uh, and it's you know it's fine it's not bad but it's it's, um, I think you can see it coming a mile away so maybe yeah. it's obvious um, but the one nice thing from that whole storyline I do like the scene where Wesley of all people convinces him to stick around and, and kind of confront the issue Mm-hmm. Kind of like that. That's a nice little scene. It's nice to have Wesley. Um, <coughs> how do I put it? It's nice to have Wesley uh, play a deciding factor in the storyline and it be done in a completely believable, natural way, I mm-hmm. guess. Because mm-hmm. um, obviously, Wesley's kind of looking up to this character in a way. Um, but there are parts of him that he doesn't understand. Uh, like, you know, the part that would want to be nomadic. He doesn't understand that. He wants to have a home. He was raised in a home and he wants to have a home. Um, so I, so he's able to offer some commentary to the Okona, uh, and I kind of like that.
1: Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I think pretty clearly for me, the, the, uh, data and Wesley character stuff is the, is the standout part of this. It's the, it's the important part or whatever in terms of the whole series arc for me. And considering uh, we get a lot of data character stuff, I guess mm-hmm.
0: that's the, the, uh, the Wesley stuff. Yeah. Stands out because we don't get a lot of that. That's That's real yeah. character stuff.
1: True.
2: I kind of like, like I said, I like the Wesley stuff too. Maybe just for a little different reason, you know, where he talks about I've made my choice. It's kind of funny because we can look at this as a whole now because we've all seen it several times. But oh, no, you, right. really, haven't, saying, yeah, you yeah.
1: really
2: haven't. <laughs> 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 and um, it's kind of funny if you he does kind of become a, a more of a solitary. You know, wh- wh- when we find out eventually what does happen to him later in the series. He kind of takes on some characteristics of Okana, not the flamboyancy of him, but more of the solitary, yeah. you know, kind of loner type. Yeah, herself. that's true,
0: that's true. Hmm. Um, hmm. Yeah, so, I don't know, did, did it feel... Did this episode feel dated to you guys? I think that's what. I was like borderline saying it was sexist or offensive. I don't. I don't really think that exactly, but I think that the effect that it has is that it makes it feel dated to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's got probably.
2: a very 80s feel to it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, come. I mean, you know, the wardrobes, the hair, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I but it, but <laughs> it feels like it feels like another TV show from the 80s, not yeah, Star Trek. Right. Right. Okay. I don't know. Um. Yeah.
1: But it, so so it feels, it does feel
0: a little maybe dated to you guys?
1: Yeah, I think it's just, uh, I think it's a lot of little things. I mean, I think it ranges from hairstyles all the way to the the silliness of him betting multiple women and the the, the nature of the humor in Joe Piscopo. I think you wrap all that together, I think is what, for me, is what makes it feel like 80s TV, you know, or something.
2: I had a, I had a quick question. Okay, so this is something that kind of anno- annoys me, and I forget if it, gradually ends, but they're, you know the bridge scenes with Picard when he's talking to the captains and he has to mute like every five seconds to ask Deanna what she thinks. It's just, it, seemed, it seemed like a little...
1: He has it of come off huge. on the other end, you know?
2: Yeah, it mutes it. up. Uh, <laughs> mute. You know, he's, he's doing the kill sign. I'm like, he, I don't remember him doing this all the way through the whole series. I mean, I think eventually, I mean, it's, he's yeah. asking Deanna stuff that he should already know, that we already know as the audience. You don't need to be a telepath. Kind
0: of yeah. out. I, I do think of it as as having been the impetus for such a funny joke in the Galaxy Quest movie. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I gave you the kill sign. <laughs> but that's what that's what I think of. Every time he does that, I'm like, what if like Worf pushed the wrong button? <laughs> you yeah,
1: know? I'm uh, still yeah. here. <laughs> Can you imagine yeah. the equivalent of like some, I mean whatever? You're in FaceTime or something and you just hold on a second, you just mute it, and then you're just making words and looking at the screen and like, you know, rolling your eyes or whatever, and then come back to, you know, I mean <laughs> Yeah. Um
0: of course, I guess I less, right? I mean, that wouldn't that really is- work with Reva, I don't think.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, no, I think you're right, Caesar. I think I think it gets I think they back off on that and they use you know what it is? It's like they're still kind of trying to find things for Troy to do. But speaking of Riva, the cloud as a whisper is a great Troy episode. I mean, it's it's a great, it's a great. Ep- I should say it's a great episode for Troy. You know, yeah. it shows the kind of things that they can have Troy do in a real practical, effective uh, way. You know, and, and it makes it shows that she's indispensable. And it's almost like they're still trying to figure her out here. So we get these kind of um, oh, well, pointless, yeah, uses here. Um, but where she's you know. kind of
2: pointing out the obvious. <laughs> well, yeah. if you can go back to Galaxy Quest 2, what's what Sigourney Weaver's? She just repeats what the computer says. So. Yeah,
1: I have one job in this ship. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Um, what's this episode about, guys? I have trouble even fabricating something. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah if, I mean, you know, the it's obviously so this, the, the this cool episode. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like I said, the, the, okay, there there is, a, there is something to do with the uh. No you know, the nomadic thing and the conversation you had with Wesley, probably somewhere in there is what they were trying to do, I guess. But I haven't I tried I have trouble even verbalizing it. So
0: so maybe if if we're and this is us trying to trying to make something up, but if we think of it as um importance of, of having a home. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sure. You know, then you've got the uh, the two factions, offspring you know, and their efforts to create this home together or fear of creating the home together. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of a stretch, but I'm not yeah. Sure. Yeah, and then
2: I'm you, sure. Then you have Guyana helping Data that's kind of a family member helping, I don't know. Yeah,
0: yeah, we're family, absence of
1: reaching. family. What, yeah. yeah, yeah, we're reaching
0: folks, which is not yeah. a good sign. Yeah. So, you know, when we started this podcast today, I thought, well, it's an okay episode, but you guys are kind of convincing me that it's not even that. Well,
2: it's entertaining. It's not, I mean, it can still be entertaining and not
0: like I said, I I really I you know I'll say I love there's like what two, Guinan data scenes maybe where they're sitting mm-hmm. around in in ten mm-hmm. forward I love those two scenes I love them mm-hmm. I I would not want to imagine Star Trek without them so mm-hmm. I do mm-hmm. yeah and then I do like that that Wesley Okona scene mm-hmm. all right so you know looks like we're not blown it's away it's nice to
2: time. look at and it's nice to look at Terry Hatcher you know? of course
0: of course I did not uh, feel that was time wasted. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. The outrageous Sakona, six degrees for the outrageous Sakona. Uh Adam? Yes. William O'Campbell plays and, and by the way, no relation to William Campbell that played in um what was it? Doomsday Machine? Yeah. Uh William O'Campbell plays the outrageous Thaddean O'Cona, the Han solo character that gets around the ship. <laughs> Campbell auditioned for one of the main characters on Next Gen, but lost out at the last minute to another actor. Uh, In fact, if you guys have heard the story about how um, it went all the way up with Patrick Stewart, it went all the way up to the top, top, top guy um, at uh, Paramount who said, and they auditioned him with a wig because Gene Roddenberry thought that the captain of the Enterprise had to have hair. And that top, top, top guy, Paramount, said, you know, go with Stewart, but lose the wig. That same guy, they brought uh, William Campbell all the way to him to want him to play a character on Next Gen. And he said, no. So then they cast this other person. So, uh, Adam, what role was William o. Campbell nearly cast for in Next Gen?
2: I'm just going to say Jonathan Franks
0: his character, yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Riker, Commander that's right. Riker. Yeah. He was uh darn near Riker. Uh, okay, Steve. Who was it right. real quick? Who
2: was the other actor that they wanted for Stuart?
0: Oh, it was um I can picture him. You know, he he was in Star Trek. If uh D S nine, um the three parter that starts the second season, right? Hmm. Uh, do you remember what I'm talking about? The storyline where what was it, the circle or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, he, he was, was the,
2: the, was he like the, the leader of the Bajorans at the time, or?
0: Well, he was like their general or something. Um, he's the guy yeah, that, I that, picture that, that uh, yeah, Cisco goes to him and gives him some information, but he asks him
1: for a favor. Tall, dark and, head guy, yeah.
0: Yeah, and he says, you know, you didn't have to, I'm, I can't do this favor for you, but you know, you didn't have to give me that information. Okay. You could have withheld it, and Sisker said, I wouldn't do that. And he says, I'll remember that. That guy. He was, he was the one okay. that, that was originally... Um,
2: for Bricard, huh? Interesting. Uh,
0: yeah. Uh, I think they was, made the uh, right choice. with Dorothy Fontana do really, really, really wanted him.
2: Mm-hmm. Anyway,
0: uh, Steve. Yes. Uh, Kieran Mulroney played Benzan, the gentleman that turns out to really be responsible for the pregnant lady's belly. In Enterprise's first season, he played Shaw in the episode fortunate son. In this episode, Shaw and his Captain Ryan are found to have hidden an alien prisoner aboard their ship called the Fortunate. Later, they unwisely attempt to battle one of this powerful alien's ships. What species was this alien race? It was a species that we originally saw in another series, but they brought the species onto Enterprise.
1: Mm, I'm probably mixing up shows. I just haven't seen many of those more than once or twice, but uh, were there Andorians? No. Okay. Adam?
2: Really? I would have said the Andorians too. Um I'll say the They were in another series I'll say the Romulans.
0: No. For no points, uh one of them stabbed Picard in the heart. Hmm. Noskins. Nah, right. that's, right. that's right. You remember them on Enterprise
1: now? They were just in the one yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like a particularly great episode, I don't think. Okay, moving on. Loud as a Whisper, Season 2, Episode 5, Production Number 132. Original air date, January 9th, 1989. Directed by Larry Shaw, written by Jacqueline Zambrano, music composed by Ron Jones. Guest cast include Diana Muldar as Dr. Catherine Pulaski, Howie Segoe as Riva uh, Marnie Mosiman, Thomas Ogilvy, and Leo Damien as Riva's chorus. The Enterprise is
2: en route to Ramada's star system to transport a famous mediator named Riva to the site of a bitter planetary conflict on Salaeus Sol- Five. To the surprise of the Way team headed by Captain McCard, it soon becomes apparent that Riva is death. Although he can understand what the crew is saying, his only way of communicating is through his chorus, a group of three people who not only possess a distinctive aspect of Re- Reva's personality, but can read the Mediator's thoughts telepathically and translate them into words.
0: Our way of communicating has developed over the centuries, and it's one that I find
1: quite harmonious. Then, Riva, the Mediator, is deaf. Deaf?
0: Born
1: and hope to die. And the three of you speak for it. Yes.
0: I think my favorite scene in this episode is kinda of when Riva first meets Riker. And the way they're standing and squaring off, you, you really get the sense that it's one beard versus another. <laughs> <laughs> well, this and is I, the bearded I, episode. <laughs> I kinda of think I kinda of think Reva wins. I think Riva's Beard wins. Although, had Riva's Beard faced off against a future seasoned Riker, mm. I'm not so sure. I think Indeed. Riker might have, Riker's Beard might have taken right. him. Riva's Beard would be a good band name. <laughs> <laughs> if one of our listeners uh, starts a band and makes a bunch of money, uh, we want to cut. Yeah. Yeah. Um.
2: I see, I'm thinking. Yeah, it's the next episode. We see um, the data beard. That's
1: yeah, right. It's it's like, the next all, lots of beards. A of, of beards. That's right. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> Adam, what do you think of this episode?
2: Um, I like it. It's probably the probably the best of the three that we're going to talk about today. Although I like the the next episode as well. Um. Um. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. You know, the chorus and all the way they set that up. It's definitely. Um, You know, it it is. It's kind of an artful form. The chorus, how they kind of do it, and it's even, even though you know it's not really happening, it's they it translates very well on the screen, and I kind of I still enjoyed watching it, even even today.
0: Yeah, the the chorus thing is it's it's cool because it's very very unique. You know, Um, (coughs) it was kind of based on something that uh, the actor who, uh, of course is uh deaf in real life uh stage play that he did where they did this this chorus thing um interpreting kind of translating the same way but it, at any rate certainly for um t- television or film it, it's very unique and it, but it has this weird effect i it almost makes me slightly uncomfortable and, and i say this as a compliment and this is not i'm not knocking it at all i think it's i think it's really neat that's the coolest thing out of this episode is the, the chorus bit um, but, you know, I try to, I try to, like, even in the scenes, when he gets a little upset when they address one of the chorus members, you know, address me, right? And that, and that's how it should be. But even then, like, every time the chorus is speaking, like, I'm trying to look at him instead, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, um, and it's, and it's weird. It's, it's like, there's this, there's this disconnect, but I feel like, uh, I feel like it's my fault. Like, I'm, like, I'm, uh... I, I have my own cultural uh yes. notions yeah. and I'm unable to to get over them hm you know yeah. and in and in the same kind of way um, there's some commentary there I think on just the way that um a, a person who isn't deaf deals with someone who is deaf, or you know a person that doesn't have any kind of a handicap deals with someone who has a handicap um or you know you're you're trying to overcompensate and i don't know um it, it's interesting and so i like that aspect of it and and the, the the one of the neat things about this episode to me is somehow i've just i've always remembered and maybe it's the actor i think he's i think he's a good actor but he's he sure has this presence doesn't he like yeah. these that look about him and maybe his beard's a big part of that i don't know <laughs> but he, he seems like he seems big you Yeah, don't mean, yeah yeah i mean like you know, weighty and, and, and memorable. And I've always remembered him. And I, I do remember it as being an early, you know, first or second season episode because it's not as complex and strong as what mm-hmm. we'll be getting later. But I've always kind of remembered this episode, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so. I, oh, yeah, that's the one with Riva, you know? Did yeah. actually...
1: Go ahead. go ahead. Well, I was just going to say... I. I was. I found interest in the chorus as well. I found. I. I was like wanting to know what's life like for these people that. Um, mm. You know that are interpreting in this fashion. It would, oh, they were the same species as him, right? I, I gathered it, was just, it wasn't know. that like his whole species is deaf or something. It was just his yeah, they family said his line, his line. Yeah. Right. Yep. And uh, I mean, I couldn't help but think of yeah. They have their own lives. Obviously, there is a scene or two where they talk by you know with the others without him there, but you know, what kind of of identity is that? You know, they'll have no identity except as an extension of him in some respect. You know, that's what they'd be known for. It'd be interesting, just the notion of a story about one or two of them, you know, trying to find their identity or something.
2: Do you you think that's why they use the royal line? Because it kind of has that, you know, royals kind of have that aspect where they're have servants. Are are those
0: servants supposed to be, is the chorus, are they like, are they reading his mind, or is he sending them something? I gather there's some kind of
1: Telepathic something because if they well, are the same
0: species, and that implies that whole entire species has some kind of telepathy. Right. I did find myself wondering in the scene between him and Troy why there wasn't more mind reading going on. Well, yeah, they did say. Well, they did say it took take,
2: it took years to develop, so it was probably. Oh, right. Okay. It's probably not. It has to be honed. It's not just mm-hmm.
0: years to develop and uh, just a few seconds to destroy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that was gruesome, wasn't really it? Like, like, yeah, man, time, you yeah, saw I, the
1: bones. You saw the red. I like how they all,
2: all leaned back in chorus
1: Yeah. <laughs> it harkened heark- it back to we see peaceful coexistence and the scorpion in the mouth thing last season, you know, that, that kind of grossness where mm, they phase with cool. the guy and there's, it yeah, it's that kind of gross.
0: Yeah. It was gruesome. It's very brief, but definitely gruesome.
1: Uh, but talking one more thing about the chorus, I, I thought it was kind of, I couldn't help but laugh with the, when, when he and Troy are having dinner and the dudes back there in the shadows talking. I don't know what cracked me up about that, but that guy back there in the shadows saying the seductive lines and stuff for him. That's That's kind of what I'm getting at too, though. I felt the same way,
0: yeah. and then I felt like almost ashamed that I was reacting that way. <laughs> like, I'm not respecting this, this guy, this alien culture. You know? Well,
1: I, I can see that observation, but I think for me, it was more of, you know, it's it's just a guy, you're back there talking yeah, in the shadows, right. and so you know the reality, so the, the <laughs> setup is it silly. It did made me think, wouldn't it be great, like, especially when you're a young man, you know,
0: and you're not very, you don't have very many good skills, but what if you could have somebody with some great skills just kind of come
1: along and yeah, you know, just hang out back there? and yeah, that'd, you know? that'd be useful, you know, that'd yeah. be a, a good Job or something, you know, yeah. You, you, some higher-up people doing that stuff. But
0: that scene, I will say, is is probably the
1: it's probably the best
0: scene in this episode for me. That scene when uh, Troy and and Reeve are having dinner, um, and then of course he dismisses. You know, it's, it's it's nice too because he's he's obviously using this the chorus, but he's so quick to dismiss them. Mm-hmm. You know, because he's confident that he can communicate. But it's just another reminder of that, you know, this chorus is just that. They're, you know, these translators, basically. Um, So I like that. I like that he never felt like they were crutches Um, um, until, of course, they're gone. But even that, it kind of works because, and and maybe it's a little heavy-handed, the way they make him arrogant. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it works because he feels... He feels a great deal of remorse because they're dead, and he knows they're um, – let me say – he feels a great deal of remorse because he knows his arrogance caused their death, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so maybe it is a little heavy-handed, like the scene whenever they come in for the um, the meeting, the briefing, and he's like, hold on, stop. Yeah, well, it's going to be about something, whatever. I don't care. Let's leave. Yeah, um, I mean,
2: they, they, they do a nice job setting that up. I mean, you know, his arrogance. and So, he, had you know, you can kind of see that there's a fall coming. Especially once you get there and you kind of see the conditions, it's like, yeah, I don't think this is going to quite work out <laughs> the way you hoped it would. Um, but yeah, they do it; they, they set you up really nice in this episode for what's going to happen.
0: Um, I want to briefly mention this that scene with Pulaski and uh, offering Geordi eye surgery. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: It's a little yeah. weird because, of course, that's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. I don't even think they're going to mention it again in the show. Yeah. even when they do do something like this, you know, in the movies. Uh, they don't mention it. It just ha- obviously it happened between the movie, like between generations and mm-hmm. first contact. It must have. It happened.
2: seemed out of place.
0: Yeah, and now behind the scenes, I read that it was um, that briefly, LeVar had been petitioning for them to do something like surgery so that he could not have to wear the visor and be able to use his eyes to do more expressive acting. Yeah. Um. But. What makes it bizarre to me is that 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 sort of thing happens in this episode. It it, it takes away kind of from the episode because in a way this episode you know, watching it from my own again uh, culturally biased uh, eyes um, but it is a Star Trek television episode uh, and we don't see a lot of D- hearing impaired or deaf people in lead roles on television or film. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, given that, I can't help but watch it and think, you know, it's a nice uh, message to um, people out there that that have these things like um, being deaf or hard of hearing. It's a nice message to them to say, "Hey, look, I'm I'm the lead on a freaking episode of Star Trek." So you can do whatever you want; it doesn't have to hold you back. And yet, we have a scene in the same episode where uh, you know Jordy seems very interested in 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 uh, taking this easy way out and having it having this very thing that makes him, as Reva puts it earlier, uh, special or a blessing that he seems to agree with having it removed. Now. It's just a scene where they suggest it. He certainly doesn't do it. Never does. You know, the actor and the character come around and appreciate it for what it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it just seems, I don't know, in this episode of all episodes, it seemed particularly out of place, I guess is what
1: I'm saying.
2: I guess on, on paper, it probably looked like it, since you had one guy with a disability, let's talk about the other guy with the disability. Yeah,
1: I mean, yeah, if they had put it later later in the episode or something, and it was a result of a conversation or exchange that he and Reva had or something that he, and he specifically right. chose not to, then it would make some sense. You know. Exactly. But otherwise, it's just yeah. kind of like, well, where's the, uh, you know. It's like, yeah, me...
0: even that exact scene, if it had ended with, you know, no, it's a blessing, yeah. I, I get these things out of it. But he doesn't. It ends with, let me think about it. Um, yeah so you know not a big deal but it's something that I think if they'd taken it a slightly different direction it could have strengthened all the rest of the episode rather than felt like an out of place scene which is what it has now Um, (coughs) but even that scene whenever he says that um, you know this is a blessing for us and we're special and Jordy says I agree again you don't even remember that part of the scene because really you're still thinking about beard versus beard (laughs) (laughs) that's right before that yeah so, I um, like I said, I, I remember this episode in a good way, and I remember the the character and the actor. And um, I don't know, I haven't, I haven't watched this. You know, we're getting now into the not not this one, um, I, but like this episode. I have probably only seen it a couple times in my life. And like Schizoid Man, we're going to talk about in a second. So we're now we're getting like Schizoid Man. I think this. I'd only seen it once before. This was only the second time I'd ever seen it, believe it or not. So we're getting into this very small portion of all of Star Trek. It's just a little bit in the second and third seasons of Next Gen. There are a few episodes there that I've only seen once. Um, and this is one of them. Well, Schizerd Man is one of them. This one, I think I I think I saw it maybe a second time. But the point, just rerun it over the years. Uh, the point is, um, it maybe wasn't quite as good as I remembered it. Um, but I still think it's good, and I agree with you, Adam. It's probably it's it's the best episode of the ones we're discussing today. Um, you know, it was the only one of the three that I thought my wife would like as a neutral Star Trek fan. You know, she'll mm-hmm. she'll basically watch anything I say. Oh, this is good. You should watch this one. And then she'll watch it and that kind of thing. Um, well, um,
2: you mentioned in the last <coughs> episode you, about Troy, and this is a this was a good Troy episode. And yeah. Kind of, um, it brought her usefulness to light, you know, what she can do and what kind of role she can play on the crew. So it's fair to mention her that she did – it was a really good Troy episode if you want to pinpoint it to one of the characters.
0: Yeah. 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 Thanks for reminding me of that too. Um, so, yeah, that that scene – I did say that that scene when they're having dinner I think is probably the best scene in the episode. Um but then, yeah, later it's it's like in the previous episode we we said a lot how nice it was to have Wesley in an organic, natural, believable way convince Akona to take action. You know, in this episode near the end, you have the scene where uh, Troy has to convince him uh, Reva to get back down there, um, and I like it, and it's 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 it's, it's a great use. Of her character, it's exactly what her character should be there for. I think, um, and she's a she's a good actress, and she's good in that scene. And she plays, you know, they have some chemistry together. I think that's maybe that's one of the reasons that that scene earlier, too, the dinner scene works. Because yeah. they have some chemistry.
1: And it's good that they didn't fall on the crutch of the like of the telepathic, empathic right. abilities because, you know, I mean obviously, yeah, they gathered we gathered that they while well, Reva's race, there's obviously some kind of telepathic something going on there, something they have to develop. So instead of two people staring at each other blankly and we hearing voiceovers, you know, they have they work through that and, and mm-hmm. that's much better.
2: Come on now. Who who here enjoyed the scenes where Picard's freaking out in the ready room? <laughs> yeah, when he grabs Reba by the face. You are not you alone. Are not alone, <laughs> Data. Go learn some sign language.
0: <laughs> I do like that little smirk he gets whenever Data comes in and shows him this is the water,
1: yeah. this is the boat in <laughs> the water. And then he gets his Picard gets his little bitty smirk and says, "Let's go talk to Reba Yeah, and that that makes me chuckle. And then later he's <laughs> like, "Thank you. Oh, thank me. Thank me. Thank me." You know, this. thing. <laughs> it's funny. Oh, Data. Yeah.
2: And uh, <laughs> um, another thing, I knows what is. Oh, real quick. One thing I know is, why does the data just start at fast speed to begin with? He has to. Speed oh up. Yeah. It creates,
1: has to that, yeah, besides the point, it's like really the previous one. Just <laughs> plug up. in or go over their Wi-Fi network or something. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> Increase speed! Increase speed! What's Increase it? to maximum. In- why don't you just go to maximum? <laughs> You're always
0: preparing. Just go. Just go. <laughs> uh, what's this episode about, guys?
2: Finding Silence. yourself. Um, yes. <laughs> look that was a double uh, joke That's funny, yes.
1: huh?
2: there you go yeah. Um, it's finding you're, you're finding yourself through uh, um, I kind of was thinking about this you know because he had to find reva actually kind of had to find his true self because m- maybe his course wasn't a crutch but he w- didn't really have to work at communicating really, because he had his course to. And then through all this, he had to find himself. You know, that's kind of, he took a a major fall, his ego and everything basically was, his whole world was crushed. But in through that, he was able to find that he could still do the things that he did and probably better, so.
0: Yeah, well, that that scene in the end where Troy says, why can't you turn your disadvantage to an advantage? I don't think that she, personally, I don't think that she means... The fact that you can't hear is your disadvantage. I don't think that's exactly what she means. And I don't think that's what this show is saying. Because earlier we literally had him say it's a blessing. Mm-hmm. You know, right. This that he and, and the majority uh, share this, and like an impairment or something. I don't think she's saying that's a disadvantage. She's t- she's saying, turn your your disadvantage to an advantage. And in that she means your dis- disadvantage, she means um, your sudden inability to communicate because your this course course your whole life is gone and these other people can't, don't know how to sign, you know, uh, and to turn that to an advantage, he's going to use teaching them how to sign literally as a figurative way to help them speak a common language, you know, and it's a very nice poignant little point that's all wrapped up in that one little sentence, you know, turn your disadvantage to an advantage. Um, and 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 I and that is really nice. You know, it's one of those things that that it has, uh, has some meaning and that it gets deeper in just a few minutes later. And I, I like the way it ends with him down there. I like that they don't do something cheesy. Like, I think in one version of the script at some point even they had, you know, they don't give him some cochlear implant or something and now all of a sudden he can hear. Or, I don't know. They don't <laughs> yeah. give him uh, uh, a computer screen on his chest that will just print out what he's saying. You know, it's nothing... It's nothing like that, you know. It's 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 it supports the rest of the episode, you know.
1: For for me, it's kind of it's it's basically resolution comes through communication, and and while while it's not that comes through what I'm sorry communication communication is you know resolution must come through communication, and I think that and and that may not always be easy, you know. Sometimes uh, that's that's a struggle to find common ground to communicate, but ultimately it's worth it to. To take the time to find that common ground and communicate and, and find resolution through that.
0: Yeah. Very nice. So, we have an answer for what it's about. It holds up in a way that our previous episode today doesn't. And I do think this episode holds up. You know, if there's any part of it that maybe feels dated, it's stuff like, you know, costumes and sets and things. Beards. Um, and beards. <laughs> um, the battle of the beards. But speaking of beards, we should move on to another beard. But first... Six degrees for loud as a whisper. Uh, I believe our score. Adam, you have one. Steve, you're down today, right? I believe so. All right, Steve, you can go first. Though. Okay. Marty, whoops, my computer screen went blank. Okay. Marty Massaman plays uh, one of Riva's three chorus members, relaying his harmonious thoughts. In real life, she is the wife and mother of two Trek guest actors. Her husband appeared in uh, as the same character in Next Gen: DS9 in Voyager, and her son appeared in Voyager. Name either actor or their characters.
1: Hmm. Okay. Sounds like something I should know. Um gosh.
0: My process of elimination, I there's only I can only think of one answer to the question, but it is still
1: um no direct. <laughs> now now answer. her husband which was in which series? Next gen DS9 and Voyager, and he played the same character on all. Uh I see.
0: And this is in real life we're talking? Right, right, right. 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 Um, Well. And her husband and her, the son they had together, was in Voyager.
1: Gotcha. Well, it's late and I'm tired and I can't think, so I don't know. (laughs) Adam? Um,
0: I'm going to say John DeLance. You are correct. John Delancey is her husband, her son Keegan DeLancey, and they all played Q characters. Cool. Very good. Uh, Adam? Yes. Thomas Oglesby. Thomas Oglesby plays the scholar artist portion of Riva's chorus. We've asked about him before, particularly his recurring appearance in Enterprise's third season as Degra. But in DS9's fifth season, he played the killer uh, Salaran Prin. Prin sought to kill Kira as an act of revenge, though he promised to first remove her unborn child so that he wouldn't kill the innocent. What species was Prin? That's my second species question today. I just really we have a theme. Cardassian You are correct, He was Cardassian. Uh, three to <coughs> one, three
1: to nothing. Mhm All right. moving on.) Wow. The Schizoid Man, Season Two, Episode Six, Production Number One Thirty One, Original Air Date January Twenty Third, Nineteen Eighty Nine, Directed by Les Landau, Story by Richard Manning and Hans Beimler, Teleplay by Tracy Tormey, Music Composed by Ron Jones, Guest Cast Include Diana Muldar as Dr. Catherine Pulaski, W. Morgan Shepard as Ira Graves, Susie Plaxen as Dr. Silar, and Barbara Allen Woods as Corinne Briannon. <laughs> The USS Enterprise
2: races towards a remote planet on a top priority mission to provide medical aid for Dr. Ira Graves, one of the greatest living human minds alive. Graves' young assistant, Kareen, has summoned for help against Graves' wishes. Data develops a particularly strong rapport with the brilliant scientist who is bravely enduring the final stages of a terminal disease. Shortly after Graves tells Data of his remarkable ability to transfer human knowledge into a computer, he dies.
0: Ira Graves was all that and more. But he was not perfect. Perhaps his greatest flaw was that he was too selfless. He cared too much for his fellow man with nary a thought for himself those who knew him loved him <laughs> while those that did not know him loved him from afar
2: <laughs> I like that it, I like that it, it
0: makes me laugh it's 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 almost almost feels like it's in the wrong episode <laughs> it's almost too like funny funny but yeah and then uh, I'm almost finished sir captain
1: whatever he says no Mr. Ditter you're, you are finished you're, you're, that's great <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah,
2: dude, that's funny.
1: I mean, you know, I can't say <laughs> enough about, you know, really, in a way, we just kind of touched on it, but all of these episodes have a lot of a lot of data, and now this one, of course, is very much featured, but, you know, it's easy to take for granted Brent Spiner and his abilities, you know, how you just, yeah. you know, you totally buy he's somebody else or someone else is influencing mm-hmm. him, and it's not the same as when he's playing a different character that's, that's occupying data or whatever, you know, this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. As Next Gen goes
0: on, it's, it's, you know, it's Picard and Data. And by the time we got to the movies, it was Picard and Data. And all the other characters are important. We like them. We love them. They, they always come up with something for them to do. But when you went to see, um, you know, uh, First Contact or Nemesis, there was usually a picture on the poster yep. of Picard and Data, mm-hmm. you know. And I think, and I don't say this to take away from anybody else on the show, I, I love them all. But I really think that that it became the Picard and Data show in a way, you know, more than anything else had to do with the, both the those two actors and their incredible performances. I don't think it started at the beginning of Farpoint as Picard and Data, right? You know? right, right. No. I think it's because they, these guys are so damn good. And this episode is a great example. I don't really think this is such a great episode. Mm-hmm. Um it's okay. It's yeah. okay. Um it's got its moments and it's okay. Um, but I really enjoy watching Spiner as Graves data, you know?
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and some of
0: the stuff is even when it's something that's on the nose, uh, like really simple and obvious, like just give him a line that's not line that data would obviously not say. And it's obviously not going to sound like data, but even that stuff, I don't think that's so easy to do to still be data, but not be data. Um, but even better than those easier things are, are the other things that he does that shows us that he's not the same guy. Um, he's just, he's really, really good. He's a great, he's a great actor. You know, it's kind of like, <coughs> I think um, it's just, it's the perfect character for Brent Spiner to be so darn good at. It's everything that he's good. That's, and that's probably the same thing with Stuart, you know, this classically trained Shakespearean guy playing this kind of role, you know. Uh, it's perfect for him. And it's like the this was the role of Spiner's life, you know. Um, I'm uh, Mad Men's about to premiere its new season, so I've been thinking about that. And um, John Hamm, you know, he's a great actor, but he's never going to have a role that's more perfect for him uh, than his role on Mad Men. It's just like it's the role of his life and it's perfect for him. And I, th- I think it's the same thing. I think I think Spiner is just that perfect in, in this role. And this is the kind of episode where anybody else, it wouldn't have worked. No, I mm-hmm. wouldn't have been sold, and I wouldn't have enjoyed watching it, even if it's not the greatest episode.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: In, what I kind of like about this episode, it, to me, it kind of it sets up um, Measure of a Man, which we're going to talk about in our next... Uh,
1: next next time, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And it, it really kind of sets it up, because it starts asking... You know, We've kind of <laughs> gotten it a little bit, starting with the season with um, Pulaski questioning what mm-hmm. data is, that kind of thing. And so there's been little things that have kind of set up measure of a man so far in this season. Um but this episode really does because it asks the question it it puts you know, you, we get to the end of the episode where, you know, Picard is talking to Graves and he's like, you you cannot dismiss you cannot take a life to save a life, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, and he's giving he's giving data equal uh weight with any other member of his crew. Yeah. You know? you
2: know, and he I mean he's he's you know, he's saying he's a unique individual <laughs> life for um, mm-hmm. and he's right. Um, and what you were talking about made me think, I don't think um, Patrick Stewart quite hasn't quite come into his own as Picard yet, um, but we see um, Brent Spiner come. Is, he? I think maybe he's the first to kind of really galvanize you know, data, what he is and what he's going to become. All the other characters are a little bit behind, but we get there as we go. But um, yeah, and I think A Measure of a Man really sets up that, that relationship between them, because I, I saw that you know they had a little chat on the couch in this in this episode, and I, and I was like, "This is kind of a crappy scene where they're they're talking." Because I always remember them in the ready room and they're having these philosophical conversations, but those t- happen down the road, and this is kind of the first first we see of it.
0: And here, and, but when he's doing it, he's having it's Graves' data.
2: Yeah, right. And that's probably why it doesn't feel yeah, right.
0: Exactly. Yeah. But we haven't um, seen a
2: lot of it up to this point yet. We, we'll see more of those two having their their conversations. But that's actually
0: room. like my favorite thing about this episode um, is the way Picard reacts to the situation. It's it's it comes out full on in the scene you were just, just just discussing near the end whenever he's you know when he's saying, you know, you can't do this to Data. He's a unique life form. He is a life form, you know, there's no question about. it. But even in in smaller ways, like when Data says that humorously and absurdly Insubordinate things on the bridge. Mm-hmm. And I, I love his response. He's like, uh, what, what is it? Uh, Graves Data says something like, She does not care for men of limited intellect. I mean, holy crap, dude. He says that mm-hmm. to the captain on <laughs> his own bridge. Um, and and St- Picard says, Mr. Data, you will come with me right now. Do you understand? You know, And he takes him in his ready room. But what I love about that is, that's Picard reacting tr- – that's Picard treating Data like he's a bad person or a, you know, a, 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 an insubordinate member of his crew that maybe he's giving him the tiniest bit more patience just because he's a senior member of his crew. But regardless, my point is he's not acting – it's not like he turns – and this would be the extreme. I'm not – obviously wouldn't do this, but it's not like he turns to – I don't know what says – there must be some malfunction with that robot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's reacting as this, this guy has a problem. This member of my crew has this problem. you know. And I'm not going to destroy him here. I'm going to take him in there and figure it out. And that's my favorite thing about this episode is that from the very beginning, it's um, uh, everybody treats, treats Data um, as this sentient being except for Graves. Um, even, uh, what's the girl's name, his assistant? Kareen. Kareen, you know, even she uh, seems to do that uh, before she realizes that Graves is in there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then when we get to that last scene, <coughs> uh, Ira, Graves slash Data version, has that line he says to Picard, you know, without... Is it the, I think it's the last scene, yeah. Like, without heart, man is meaningless. And now he's, he's trying to say how, he's trying to make a point how he thinks it should be okay for him to take over Data the Machine. But, of course, the line is incredibly ironic, uh, because figuratively, he didn't have a heart because he, you know, basically was willing to murder someone to extend his own life. Um, and I like I like that line. I like the irony of it, and and I like that although it doesn't provide for the most uh, action-packed ending or even dramatic ending, I like that it's Graves's um, uh, intellectual understanding. He he he, un- he does start to understand the irony of that line. He does start to understand um, what was wrong about his actions enough that he makes a choice uh, to. Set data free and basically die. Um, I like that. Like I said, maybe it's not the most action action-packed uh, Dana drama, but <coughs> um, I, I like it just the same.
2: I like where the scenes guys? too. Where, the, where um, I like the scenes with Graves and Data early on in the episode when they're before he dies. Grandpa. Grandpa, the grandpa scenes.
0: I can every time he says that, I'm expecting it like it's a shot of data, and he says, "Grandpa," blah, 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 and they cut back over to instead of seeing old man Graves, I expect to see the Adams family grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm the only not one of- that is that. <laughs> <Keep> the, <laughs> no, no, okay. <laughs> um.
1: Yeah, I um. I think this is one of the, I mean, you know, we haven't really gotten anything what's wrong with this. But, I, you know, one thing is I think it's one of these that everybody looks stupid. You know, whenever we're that far ahead <laughs> oh, of everybody right, right, right. else, it, it yeah. makes everyone seem dumb. Like, yeah. we know, I mean, they didn't show it happening, but we pretty much know right away what's happened. I, I mean, you know, obviously we've seen this multiple times, but then everyone else is just like, I don't know what could be going on Some <laughs> malfunction. I mean, really? You know, come yeah. on. He's irritable. Data,
2: <clears throat> data shouldn't have emotions at all. And he's irritable. And-
1: yeah, and, he, and, he, and they, they met this guy. They know what this guy does. It's not like this guy just pulled this out of a hat or whatever. This guy does this kind of thing, and now that yeah. he's acting like this, come on.
2: Yeah, and he spent all alone time. Yeah. And it's- yeah well,
0: but- you, know, you know, I agree with you, and I do agree with that sentiment. Um, I think may- maybe just this one time, it's slightly less... Uh, or maybe I should say slightly more forgivable. Because this is one instance where I do think what he's done you know the, the concept of transferring your consciousness into a computer yeah. it's so beyond it's so crazy compared to their own um techn- technological ability mm-hmm. and maybe they should have just made more of that mm-hmm. but because it is so beyond what they can do it wasn't one of their first thoughts yeah. but but yeah no I, I i agree with you and that's that's often a problem um and this this show it's, it's certainly a problem too yeah, you're definitely feeling like we are ahead of them, and as soon as that happens, it makes the sh- it makes the episode feel like it has a, a pacing problems. You know, because yeah, yeah. you're like, just get on with it, because I know I now know what's gonna happen, so make it happen. Um, and then when they take ten more minutes to do it, yeah. You know. mm-hmm. um, so yeah, so so that's that's certainly a problem that this episode has. Um, now Maurice Hurley, he had some comments about. He thinks that it's. That this kind of episode is really bad for Data's character. He felt like, uh, what was the comparison he made? I'm trying to remember. Oh yeah, he said, and I don't agree with him, but I thought I found this interesting. He said, this is the kind of thing. It's it's like a a really cute, like innocent, 13 year, 12 or 13 year old girl uh, that you see French kissing some guy, older guy, you know. And immediately, it's like a disconnect, and it says this character is this very different person than than you thought. Um, I don't, I don't seem to have that issue. I don't understand. Yeah, okay. Do I. Oh.
2: They try <laughs> to say some, some pedophilia thing. <laughs> <laughs> you just, you don't know what's going on here?
0: <laughs> well, Graves did have some kind of. Uh, <laughs> I think he's no. He he's saying that that if it makes. Um, that if that if data can can if we can show data doing these kinds of things, that it's going to leave a lasting impression of, of data as this kind of person. You yeah, know? but okay, but we know and that that's I and guess. that
1: that's completely opposed to who he is, right? Right. But I mean, for me, it's a classic. Well, maybe I'm just so used to this kind of thing because it's sci-fi and it's Star Trek. But people we get taken over by things, things yeah. and they're not them anymore. You know, I don't yeah. know. It's just
2: yeah. We're we're gonna see Picard do some grisly things before too long. So, <laughs> sure, sure. yeah, I mean, I don't know. Or maybe is he kind of trying to say that Data was not? I'm, I, is he trying to make the compa- comparison with Graves taking advantage of Data? It's Data being kind of too. I don't know. Trusting? I don't. I don't is that what he's tr- looking at, or is he? I don't. Well,
0: still even your thing, you. I get I'm assuming you're referencing like best of both worlds. But, but even that, we we see. We see it affect Picard. We see it, like, after the episodes. Mm-hmm. We see that it affects who he is. He has to come to terms with it. We have an entire episode family that deals with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, arguably a movie as well. Um, so, in those kinds of scenarios, <coughs> they are used to kind of strengthen our main character. Um,
2: so are you saying that maybe this didn't add any depth to Data because he didn't have? Yeah, data? in a way,
0: it's like it's like Data just drops out of this episode. You mm-hmm. know? Okay.
2: Um, well, I mean, it would have been that would have been a difficult thing to write because Data technically doesn't have any emotions. So how how are you supposed to deal with that if you don't have any emotions to deal with it? kind of thing so I think it would have been a difficult they would have had to make a really serious um, character decision there are they going to give him emotions from that point on or are they going to go with what they did And like, they decided to go with what they had in place I think um, because there's really no way you can deal with that unless you have m- emotional responses
0: you just reminded me of something that there's a scene where um, that, that scene whenever uh, uh, on the bridge when Data Graves says you know Um, you're trying to steal my girl basically Mm -hmm. Um, and then they leave and and Troy says um, I he's oh uh, I think um, Riker says what was that all about and she says intense jealousy coming from Data now (coughs) I listen to it very intently the way she words it she doesn't actually specifically say I sensed this coming from him she Mm -hmm. could have just the way she worded it I guess it could have meant this is my interpretation of the words he said you know, of his actions. But it did make me think <clears throat> if she was saying that she sensed this from him, shouldn't that be a massive alarm? Uh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But even if that was the case, that that's kind of that would be, that would have been very interesting to me if, if that was so then it would almost be like like his conscience had to have equated to more than ones and zeros. Like, uh, there must have been a soul that transferred or somehow. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's right. weird. Like, exactly what does she sense when she sense, senses something from someone? You know, what is, you know? Was, that was just interesting. It got me into thinking about it. I kind of almost missed the next scene because I was still thinking about mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm afraid we're going to go over on time. Uh, do you guys like this episode? Do you, did you remember it? Yeah, I remember I it. I did, yeah. yeah. I did. More than uh, I the think beard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Apparently there was a scene... You know, that, and that's obviously kind of a he's, he's trying to uh, um, play off of Riker's uh, persona. Apparently, they wrote a scene where he made himself bald
1: <laughs>
0: in this episode uh, <laughs> as another test, but they didn't shoot it. I don't think. Um, but I'm sorry. So, so you do remember it? Did you guys like it? Do you think you think it's a good episode? I mean, do you enjoy watching it?
2: It's a but- solid episode. It's got a th- its it's little quirks, but it's a solid episode. I like I said, I th- I like Loud as a Whisper" better than this one, but it's a strong second in this this three episode.
0: Yeah, maybe would, this episode needed a little bit of a, a since since we do feel like we're ahead of it. Maybe if it had had a bit of a B story or something. Yeah,
1: maybe so. Maybe so. I mean, I mean they just they there's wasting time. I felt like that a little bit. Yeah, It's just yeah. kind of drag dragging. Yeah, drag exactly. It out. That's how
0: I felt too, and I hadn't thought about why I felt like it, the pacing was off, like it like it dragged. But Steve, as, as soon as you talked about mm-hmm. feeling like you're ahead of it and making makes them look look dumb, I, I think that's I think that's the reason, uh, and that's probably my my biggest problem with this episode mm-hmm. is that yeah, it feels like it it does feel like it drags and, and
2: they should um, have shown all this stuff that, that the other freighter that they went to go save them they had, they had a b story right there
1: yeah and that and that whole thing's a little odd too i mean, I mean it's just a technical I, thing but really it's that, that much was. of a different time to not stop but to kind of slow down <laughs> yeah it was weird like, a near, just... near warp
0: transport that looked a heck of a lot like coming out of warp and, <laughs> and <back> in <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah they, they couldn't wait like five more seconds so they don't put those yeah, yeah, it's kind of strange. Yeah, I didn't understand any of that. It I, was out I, of I
0: place. Understand the whole point of that, even that story. Why couldn't they have just sent them down there and they didn't even need that storyline? I I didn't really get that at all.
1: See, and that yeah, kind was of out stuff, of place. That kind of stuff is is important because that throws you off. I mean, for me, it's like I mean, I remember all this happening because we've seen it before. But you know, when you start thinking about these things, it's like right off the bat, you're like, what? What? Why are you redoing And then and then you have to come out of that to get to get get into the episode again. You know, when they when they throw <clears throat> irrelevant junk at the top of something like that, you know. It's, yeah, but but uh, but back to the the core of this. Uh, yeah, I like it okay. I think it's for for being a second season episode. I don't think it's awful, nor do I think it's particularly great. Just kind I
0: of. What like. I, I wish they'd done more of that. The bit with um, Graves talking about the Tin Man from the Wizard of Oz mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Mechanical Man gets his wish. I think there could have been a, more of a storyline in there, yeah. you know, like a through line for the whole episode that I was thinking about. You know, uh, because Data is. Like at the very beginning, instead of showing him with the beard, which is funny, mm-hmm. uh, but it's such an obviously shallow way to like it's like you're imitating humans, mm-hmm. and that's not what data wants. Deep down data doesn't want to be able to perfectly imitate a human right, right. He wants to be human, yeah, right? and there's a big difference so I think instead of doing that whole beard thing, if there had been a scene that just reminded us of how much data wants to be human, mm-hmm. you know, and I think if the, if the entire storyline had had more more of a parallel to like the tin man getting his wish Mm -hmm. you know um you know uh instead of of grave saying um i deserve to take over data's body because i'm the superior intellect or something which is shallow and who cares you know if there had been like a sincere if he mistakenly thought that he was Giving data something data really wanted, like really helping him be human. I don't know. I'm just throwing out ideas, but I think that um, uh, more of a reference and an effect on our character long term mm-hmm. uh, would have made this episode much stronger.
1: I kind of, you know, I kind of you know, really would. Go ahead. I'm sorry.
2: <clears throat> oh, well, I was going to say um, maybe if they had a scene toward, maybe if they had the scene in the end with Data and um, Picard talking about it because they, they you know we we see these we talked about it briefly where we have these scenes where data is questioning things maybe if they would have had had this at the very end where he's talking to picard and just talking mm-hmm. that would have been a better but would have been a better conclusion to this episode instead yeah. of him just getting them off the floor and going yeah. okay i'm all good
1: yeah and <clears throat> for me you know i don't know if i'm just thinking about it now i'm talking about what make something better i, I kind of would have liked it i think better if like he he did remember some of it like if his conscious was still there like the kind of scenes and we've seen this in other things yeah. kind of but but like kind of like fighting with yourself thing and I mean, you know Spiner's up to that he could have done that you know that kind of talking to yourself you know Gollum Smeagol something you know what I'm saying that kind of yeah. thing with the Ira and him and and then Data remembers it and it does have some kind of lasting impact too and it would also solve the problem of this issue of Data being out of the story essentially because he's been taken over the whole time you know yeah
0: yeah um so uh, have we then covered also what it's about? Does it feel like? Well I mean,
1: Yeah, yeah, I think
2: I think we've kinda talked about it. We've talked about sum know, it. Sum it up in like being, a sentence. Yeah. Data is actually a person. He's a living, unique living human being that kind of sets this up, you, you know, feel
0: like
1: he, that's what this episode's about? I mean that that's probably Well that's either. part of
2: part of it. I mean I'm sure yeah. you can
1: I think there's a little more to that. I think there's a little bit of the the you know the consequences of attempting to cheat death. One of these kind of fighting against mm-hmm. nature things, a little bit here, you know, like you losing a little bit of yourself. I mean, our graves pull off basically tried to pull off some, and he, and he did pull off something incredible, but lost a piece of himself doing it, you know, and that was the consequence in a sense of fighting against nature in a way or something.
0: Yeah, and and you know all these problems we're saying that maybe this episode has. I think they're because these thematic references aren't, like the one you just mentioned, Adam, it's, there's very little of it, but it's very strong when it's there toward the end, but that's kind of the only place it is, really. The stuff I was talking about, about Data's desires to really be human, those are kind of, it's like they aim at it and then they miss, because instead of, you know, they go for a beard, or they don't make more references <laughs> to the Tin Man, or or Steve, what you were just saying, trying to cheat death. Mm. Um, in uh, the consequences of that, I think maybe they could, if they'd had him go a little bit more crazy, maybe it would have made that, it would have strengthened that theme, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's it. You know, it's like they had some ideas, and and they didn't. They should have focused a little bit more, and I think it would have made it stronger and and so that it would hold up better. Mm-hmm. But I but I I do enjoy watching this episode. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think it it does some fun stuff, especially between how serious it gets at times, and then the comedy it has, you know, which is a, a nice a hard thing to do. Uh, but but sometimes Trek can pull it off, and I think it does. Um, so, you know, I agree that today of the three episodes we talked about today, a Whisper is definitely the best one. I'd even say it's a good episode. Um, maybe I wouldn't say that about the others, but particularly Schizoid Man, I enjoy watching. Um, any other thoughts on this one, guys? I'm good. I think so. All right, moving on to Six Degrees for Schizoid Man. Hmm. I think we are at 3-1.
1: Did I get any? Or am I still or, zero? No,
0: okay. Sorry. 3-0. Three three, yeah, I think so. Uh, Steve, you going first or second? I'll go first. <laughs> Susie Plaxen plays Dr. Salar, mm-hmm. the Vulcan doctor that determines Grave's condition to be um, Grave. Later on in this season, she will play Kalar in the episode The Emissary. In that episode, she will begin a relationship with Worf, though it's short-lived because she dies when she returns to the episode Reunion. What season is
1: that? What season is the episode reunion where she dies? Correct. Oh gosh. Because
0: the first time, the first time we see Claxton play Kalar is in this season, the second Hmm. season.
1: Hmm. The third?
0: No. Um. Adam, I'm not sure if I should give Adam the the trade on that one. Fourth. Yeah, it's fourth. <laughs> uh, Adam W. Morgan Shepard plays Ira Graves, the dying scientist that deposits his conscience into Mr. Data. In J.J. Abrams' 2009 f- film, Star Trek, he plays the Vulcan minister that tells Spock he has been accepted into the Vulcan Science Academy. However, something he says incenses Spock enough that Spock decides to go to Starfleet Academy instead. What does he say? I don't have the quote
2: down. I, he says something like, "To the, even though he has a disadvantage, he's the, even he's made it, even though he's disadvantaged or something."
0: Yeah, I'll give that to you. I was kind of looking for specifically what the disadvantage was, but well, that's what he a, said. A, well, yeah, he doesn't actually. But then Spock has
2: to ask, and then right isn't it's his mother, right? Is his
0: that he's half human? <clears throat> All right, I'm the, Adam. Congratulations. <laughs> well, I,
2: well, it, it's only fair. Steve shut me out last episode. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Turn about the right uh, <coughs> All right, folks. Very quickly. So I went to WonderCon. We're at, we're recording this episode a little usual, a little earlier than usual, and late at night. Thanks, guys, for staying up uh, because of some scheduling conflicts next week. But anyway, I went to WonderCon yesterday, and um, uh, they had a couple of good Star Trek panels. I went to one was uh, a couple of the same people that I saw at last summer's Comic Con. Um, Roger, what's his name? Roger Lay and Robert Burnett. Um, you know, the guys that are mm-hmm. doing the extras for uh, Next Gen on Blu-ray and now Enterprise on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brandon Braga was there. Uh, somebody else was at that panel. I can't remember who it was. Anyway. Oh, oh, the Akutas, of course. Right. They, both the Akutas were there. Um, and that was, that was very interesting. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of new information, but it was, you know, it was cool. And um, <laughs> I did decide I'm going to go ahead and do that Best of Both Worlds thing. Mm-hmm. Just because at that panel, they mentioned what theater they're all going to. So, <laughs> so I went online and I bought a ticket for the Century City AMC. Awesome. Yeah, there were only, they, they were only um, the front two rows left, so I'll be sitting in the front. But it'll be fun to be in the same room with the mm-hmm. Okudas and Burnett and Roger Lay and all that stuff. Cool, cool. Um, but they did mention uh, how successful those Fathom events have been. They said in some of the bigger markets, they're selling out seven weeks in advance, yeah. which is nutty. I had no idea. And then, you know what? Sure enough, there was a guy that came up there and asked a question and said, "I don't have a Blu-ray player, um, so the only way I've been seeing these is are, are the Fathom stuff, and I really mm-hmm. love those. So keep doing that. You know, and it made me think. Well, yeah, well, I guess it makes sense. You know, mm-hmm. if you didn't have, if you couldn't afford to rebuy everything, if you didn't have high-def television, there certainly be no reason. There'd be no point. Um, but you can still participate with the Fathom stuff. So, and that's great. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, the one, in, the one interesting point that, that they made out of that panel was." Um, you know as in every every star trek panel and everything nowadays somebody inevitably inevitably asks about jj's movies and you know what do you think of them um i don't know if you guys have ever read online like robert burnett's thoughts he he doesn't he doesn't like the movie uh, but he does respect the effect that it's had on fandom and even the akudas said you know and of course the akudas we we really love them and <coughs> um they're overseeing uh -hmm. You know uh, these remasters, um, well, uh, next gen. I'm talking about. um, Even these, they said, you know, if it hadn't been for the success of JJ's 2009 movie, we wouldn't be sitting here. They genuinely believe that it was the success of that movie that kickstarted the remaster of Next Gen in HD.
1: Hmm.
0: You know. Um, and I've kind of heard that implied before, but I've never heard anybody flat out say it. And they really, you know, and obviously they they have the real inside stories that mm-hmm. we don't know. So that was, that was very interesting. Um, and then the next panel that I went to was, um, I don't know if you guys saw this, and I hate to say it, I still haven't watched it, but it's like a bookmark I've left up on my browser, so I'm going to watch it. But Geek well, they used to be Geek Monthly or Geek Magazine, but now I think they're just called Geek. I don't remember. Um, they used to be a physical magazine. No, they still are a physical magazine. I'm so sorry. But mm, they sell their magazine online as well. But anyway, that's Mark Altman, you know, Robert Robert Burnett's alter ego guy there that, that made Free mm-hmm. Enterprise with him. And I love those guys. Every time I go to Comic-Con, I always go to any panels that they're doing. Anyway, so um, Mark Altman, uh, along with Jeff Bond, did this and a couple other people. They did this. They called it like a Trek Summit and uh, Brandon Braga um, and Rod Roddenberry just talking about track a few months ago like a three hour conversation they put a big old article in there and it's very interesting and I think they put put it on YouTube or something really want to watch that at some point at any rate they kind of had a mini version yesterday a one hour version for a panel and had most of the same people including Braga, Rod um, Mark, Jeff Bond and then one other guy I can't remember his name now but he was, he was really great too uh, a newspaper critic that just loves Star Trek anyway <coughs> um, and that was that was a very enjoyable panel uh, Jeff Bond of course, we love him he's the guy that wrote the music of Star Trek and he does all the liner notes um, uh, for all those new Star Trek CDs and stuff but he um, he also you know, writes articles for Geek and I've seen him put articles up on Trek Movie and stuff and he's he's great. I like him. A, I like him a lot. Um, he had this. He made this point um, yesterday that that blew me away, and I kept thinking about it. I'm still kind of thinking about it. And it was a little thing that nobody else in the audience seemed as impressed as I was. But I was like, oh my god, wow. Anyway, so I just have to share this, folks. Um, talking about um, like the moments that really defined Star Trek for all of Star Trek, and what portion, especially in the original series, what what made it stand out or what made it so memorable or what you know what helped it to become this thing that we're still that they would make spin-off shows and movies and we're still talking about almost 50 years later. And he pegged, as opposed to say, uh, picking, I don't know, balance of terror or Sitting in the edge of forever, you know, episodes that everybody agrees are phenomenal hours of television with incredible scripts and etc. He said, you know, um, oh crap. What's the name of that? Uh, So, is it, the cage is the two parter, right? And mm-hmm. the menagerie was was the unaired pilot that uh-huh. they used footage of in the cage. Okay. Yeah. He said, okay. So the cage maybe isn't the episode people talk about as being one of the great, 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 great episodes. However, because they made that episode a two parter and used footage from uh, the cage, the unaired pilot that was made a couple of years earlier. And, and they did that because they wanted to save money. That that was really the reason they did it, right? Only two-part mm-hmm. in the original series. Um, but it was made, even though uh, the K, the Menagerie was just shot a couple of years earlier, it does look so much more dated than the rest of the show, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and he's definitely right. Even though it's only a couple of years earlier, it looks way more dated. Um, and it makes the whole show look like exactly what it's supposed to be in the in the context of the episode, which is like 10 years earlier or something, right? hmm um, he said, because you've got that two-parter, um, and it's showing these like flashbacks of the Enterprise from ten years earlier, and it really kind of looks and feels like it's the ten ten years earlier, and, it, and in a way, it just immediately sets up this concept of um, continuity, um, and it's setting it up. It 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 gives Star Trek this. And, you know, he said all this in, like, one sentence, right? But, so I'm spending already more time than he did. But it, but it gives it this sense of a real world, you know, of this, mm-hmm. of this real place immediately. Um, mm-hmm. And I've just been thinking about that all night last night and all day today. And, and I think he's totally right. And it's something that because we grew up watching it and we don't, you know, not thinking about it. But maybe if we had that ability to kind of step back and watch it for the first time, then that would be more obvious. Um, but, you know, I've talked about before. How, so much of how what I love about Star Trek is the difference between Trekker and Trekkie, and I'm definitely a Trekker. You know, I love I love this universe, and and I love uh, I have to know what's going on in it, and and feeling like it's this real thing and this lived-in place, um, <coughs> and that, and then in that one two-parter was that was made cheaply just to save money. They, they permanently established this concept, whether they meant to or not, that is exactly um, what would enable them to create these spin-offs and these other time zones and just everything about it. I don't know. You, mm-hmm. guys, you guys see what I'm getting at? Yeah, and I do. I feel yeah, like yeah. I'm, it's late and I'm just yammering on. Mm-hmm. But I'd never, I'd never given uh, uh, The Cage or The Menagerie, um, The Cage dial that credit.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I, I understand that. That is interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah, and I haven't
0: really heard anybody say that before.
1: No, no,
0: yeah. So anyway, it was a, uh, it was it was fun, you know. I'm I'm skipping Comic Con for the first time in a decade this year, but uh, you know, I wanted to go to WonderCon for a day, and I, there were a lot of Trek people. Obviously, Brandon Braga, and that brings people to the panels. That's one last statement. I know. so I'm going to let you, everybody go. Um, I wasn't. Exactly pleased as punch with Braga or Berman by the time Enterprise ended. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think they've, I think they, maybe they did get kind of an unfair shake. And um, I, I think slowly but surely they've won me back over. And um, I do appreciate and respect Brandon Braga. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, folks, thanks so much again to my wonderful peers. Mr. Steve and Mr. Adam for staying <laughs> late in the central time zone. Um, just all so that we could get you this episode on time rather than be a day late, which is the only way, other way we we're able to schedule it. So thank you guys. Our listeners really appreciate it. And speaking of our listeners, folks, you can find us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash Trek Companion. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, that's at Trek Companion. Send us an email. TrekCompanion@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Uh, and in two weeks we're going to talk about the next three episodes Including The Measure of a Man Which I don't know about you guys But I intend to watch the extended version again I saw it at the Fathom event I'm going to watch it for the second time um, So I'm incredibly excited to rewatch that one Along mm-hmm. with the other two episodes So until then, thanks for listening Take it easy Bye guys, see you.